morning. Welcome to Calvary. We are so glad you guys are here. Uh, please stand and, and worship. let's worship together. Stop it. 
up to something great. Have a seat, please, for just a moment. Just want to share just a few things with you before we get fully started here. We are uh, a a congregation that prays together, and so we are we are so grateful that at this time and throughout the service, we have some prayer warriors. Uh, not only in the back of the building, well, in the front of the building, uh, but all the way behind you, but also in this room as well. Uh, if, if you would turn around, just kind of look, take a look at our, uh, our prayer warriors. They are here for you. If you are at any time during the service would like to have prayer, uh, we would highly encourage you to come and join uh, any of these three behind you, and we would love to come alongside of you in prayer. It's, it is a fascinating thing that God, in his sovereign will, is activating that will when we join him in prayer. It is a fascinating thing. God can do all things all on his own, but he decided to use Noah to build the ark. He could have delivered all of his people out of Egypt all by himself, but he decided to use Moses. He could deliver the entire message of the gospel to all the world, but he decided to use you. It is incredible that through prayer we align our will with his and I would encourage you to go and do that this morning if you have an opportunity, if God uh, makes you feel so led. And uh, thank you so much, uh, Prayer Warriors. We love you, and we are, we are grateful for you. Uh, we partner with a ministry called uh, Humble Area Assistance Ministry. Uh, we've been donating to them so they can be a blessing to our community. It's one way that we can extend our love, the love of, of Christ, into our community in a very practical way. And so this month we are giving, uh, or we are donating to them at the end of this month, macaroni and cheese so next time you guys are at the grocery store grab an extra box or two bring it over here to the church and put it up into the the shelf out there in the main lobby and we'll make sure that we get that to them they've been so grateful uh for the donations they've received and uh the ministry they can provide for our community so thank you so much for your faithfulness there on um tuesday nights very special class has been happening we've only gone through one class this really is a kind of the start of the meat of the class for couples. Any young couple that's in this group, we're going to be going through uh, really amazing things about why and how God designed marriage to function. It is a picture of his image, and so he cares very much about that. And once we go through that, uh, for uh, uh, seasoned couples, uh, you are going to have an opportunity with Pastor Terry and, and Miss Melanie uh, they're going to be taking you guys through another uh, uh, very similar class, but uh, for seasoned couples. They've already gone past all that, uh, the, the rudimentary stuff. And so uh, very grateful for Pastor Terry and having that on his heart. It's already been a, a very blessed class, just that first time out. But now we're getting into the meat of the material. So I, I encourage you, if you are a young couple in, the, in this room, if you know a young couple, uh, whether you think they have a, a marriage on the rocks or a marriage that is thriving, be in this environment. I encourage you. It's, it's a beautiful thing to see how God has wired this to work. Uh, ladies, if uh, you have a, a really special date coming up, it is the women's retreat. I would encourage you at this point, just save the date. Block out on your calendars November 3rd through 5th. There is a table out front with some more information and a chance to sign up as well. Thank you guys so much. Uh, we really uh, are just so grateful for your faithfulness to be here, your faithfulness to this church. Uh, if you are going to be giving an offering or your tithe, we have a several ways for you to do that. We got, of course, the envelopes in the in front of you in those little slots. Uh, we also can go. You also can go online, click on the uh, the little the little menu tab, or click on the give tab, and uh, just follow the prompts there. 
easiest way for me and my family is just to text uh, text 84321, a dollar amount. It'll send you a link one time. That link will, when you open it up, this is something that it's a little tricky. It's the only tricky part of this. Once you open up that link, you're going to type in there Calvary Christian Fellowship and hit search. And only one church is going to come up. It's us. When that church comes up, you hit that button, and then you follow the prompts thereafter about just your information, your name, phone number, email, uh, and it'll track everything for you. At the end of the year, you guys will get an automatic uh, uh, email sent to you of all, of all of your giving. It's a real easy way for us to give back to you what you guys need for the end of the year. And so thank you so much for those of you who have uh, utilized that, uh, that, that tool. And once you set it up that one time, every time after that, all you got to do is put in a dollar amount, type in four. Zero, 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 and then you just hit send, and it's going to do everything else for you. You don't have to do a thing about it. Just don't even think about it. Just uh, hit send. You're good to go. All right? Do me a favor and do each other a favor. Turn around. Find a face you don't recognize and say, good morning. I'm so glad to see you here at Calvary. God bless you. Oh, sure. While you guys are doing that, just want to share just two more things. We are doing the giving the blood drive, so please uh, donate blood at the end of the service. And pancakes. Pancakes will be available after the service is over. So if you didn't get a chance to get pancakes, we're still going to serve pancakes and sausage and all that good stuff at the end of the service. So please enjoy that as well.
suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry then from north to south and east to west we'd hear Christ be magnified Stand strong and worship you, and if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings, I'll hold fast to what is true, and if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. Because death is just a doorway into resurrection life. If I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. When you return to glory, all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing. My heart will be singing. Christ be
heart still in a posture of worship, would you, would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We are so grateful to you that you allow us to come together as a faith family here. We love you, Lord, that you've delighted our hearts when we gather together. You've wired us to be so united to you. You've wired us to experience true joy when we're gathered together as brothers and sisters united under your name, lifting up the name of Christ. Father, in this time, I pray, Lord, that we would evaluate ourselves as this is a time that we get to take communion later on in the service. I pray, God, that you would begin working on us even in this moment. Church, would there be anything in, within our hearts that you know that the Lord is calling on you? To have that be removed, to understand that it's not within your power. That it's not something you can do. What you can do is to choose to surrender to the Lord. Say, God, I know this thing separates me from you, and I don't want that anymore. I want to be right with you today and forever. Please take this from me. I surrender to you. Father, I pray that you would hear our heart cry. Lord, you are so faithful to meet us where we are. Take us as we are. It's not anything that we have done that has earned your love. You already loved us. I pray, Father, we can walk forward in the confidence of that love Church, would you pray with me in praising the Lord for the, the added families, the, the babies that are going to be born very soon, and um, a, a praise for, for those who have experienced healing that we've been praying for. And to the same degree, would you lift up in the quietness of your own heart, Pastor Mark's mom, Mrs. Angie's mom. Annie Bullard and Miss Olga, who are recover, who's recovering from knee replacement surgery. Please lift them up and asking the Lord to give them peace and healing. Church, would you join me in prayer as we lift up our pastors? God has been doing a work in them and through them in a very specific way these past several months. And at the end of the month, they're going to be taking a, they're going to be not taking a break. It's very much not a break. They're going to be away, working on several things that God has placed on their heart. Would you lift them up in this moment? Asking that God will reveal to them in a very clear way what his direction, will, and plan is moving forward in the life of this church. This is an incredibly humbling moment. I pray that you would come alongside our pastor as, God, as the Lord revealed to them several things that we are blessed to consider. And they're going to take some time away to really focus on this. Please lift them up in the quietness of your heart that, that God's perfect and holy will not only be revealed, but be made clear and 
instill the kind of excitement that comes along with doing what God's called you to do. Father, we love you. It is a joy and an honor to lift up your name. Father, as we move our hearts into a place of listening, I pray, Lord, that we would not be a body that just listens and says, that's good, that makes sense to me. But God, I pray that we would be doers of what you call on us to do. We would be doers of what your word says. Lord, there is no greater joy than to be in your will, doing what you've called us to do, living how you've called us to live. I thank you, Lord, for Pastor Mark and the preparations that he made and the message he's going to give. I pray, Lord, that we would prepare ourselves, we would prepare our hearts to receive that which you would have for us. We love you, Father. We praise you. And it is a blessing. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The people of God were stuck. For centuries, they lived as slaves to terrifying taskmasters whose cruelty was only exceeded by their power. In these dark days, God's people gave birth to children who would inherit nothing more than misery. Their strongest ally was a God whom they had assumed had forgotten them. Far from forgotten, the people of God were rescued by the might of his hand. He put their masters to open shame and led them into the wilderness. Though they were set free, they weren't yet living free. They started to live as slaves to their own sin. What happened next reverberates for over 3,000 years of history to this current day. Like a loving and patient father, God instructed his children, giving them the Ten Commandments. All right. Good morning. So, did, did a few of us get some pancakes this morning? All right, so those are all the people going to sleep right now. <laughs> but that said, the rest of us can go to sleep later because we're going to still have pancakes after service. So there's plenty out there. Please join us afterwards. The, the other thing is, uh, um, many of you may know this, there is, there's a blood drive going on right now, and there are slots open. So if you're interested, get pancakes and give blood. Or give blood and get pancakes one way or the other, right? Um, uh, but... Truly, uh, we we really really appreciate all who who do participate uh, in the in the in the blood drive. There's there's a lot of many of that is necessary for life, and it's a it's an honor for us to participate in our community by doing things like this. So thank you for those that do that. Um, uh, all right, so we are talking about the Ten Commandments. Very good. Um, Set free to live free. So this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, no stealing. Thou shalt not steal. Bestowing the right to property. Bestowing the right to property. And so if we can throw the Ten Commandments up there for a minute. Um, 
Now we notice that if, if we were to, there's two places in your Bible where you will find them listed like this. You'll find them all over the Bible, but listed, find them in Exodus. You'll also find them in Deuteronomy. Now what's fascinating about the list in the book of Deuteronomy is Moses uses them in the book of Deuteronomy as sort of a table of contents. You can follow each one of the commandments and then follow the rest of Deuteronomy and see this section corresponds to this. This section corresponds to this. And it's, 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 uh, it's pretty amazing how well it all fits in that way. And so we've been going through these, each one, because how many know that each one of these commandments is far more than the one or two phrases that's in them? You know, these words, and, and, I, and I keep asking myself the question when I look at these as I'm studying and I'm going through, is it why was it? That literally God saw necessary to begin all of written scripture with this. God speaks these into existence. He, he uh, puts them on stone for us. And it's from there that the rest of scripture begins to be recorded. Why is it that God gives us these specific commandments? Actually, the, they're better words. is the actual word in the Hebrew. These ten words. And then from there, everything else is built out. So that's kind of the approach as we're going through this. And what we notice looking at this is they kind of break down into three different sections. You have the first section that is leading us in a faith relationship with God, putting him before all things. And then there's this transition uh, commandment that takes us from creation to, uh, to, to recreation in Christ, new creation. And then we move to uh, uh, once we understand we are imagers of God, how do we respect that image in one another, honor that image, and raise it up? And so as we're breaking down, thou shalt not steal this morning, let's keep that in mind as to, to what we're doing. So thou shalt not steal, Exodus twenty fifteen. it's also in Deuteronomy. Um, and what is going on here is if we look at each one of these rather than what we're not supposed to do, but what is it actually doing? By telling us not to steal, God is literally bestowing a right to property. Now, why is that foundational? Why is that so important? So um, what we're going to do to look at this is first what we're going to do is we're going to look at what it meant. And then we're going to look at what it means. And when we look at what it means, we're going to break it down to what it means for us as a society and what it means for us as an individual. How do we live that uh, in, in Christ? Okay, so what did it mean? What, what it meant? Um, we're going to start there. So if, it's, if, if it means that bestowing a right to property, thou shalt not steal bestows us a right to property, I guess we should probably know what property is. I mean, think that's a good idea. If I have a right to it, I should probably know what it is. So uh, uh, I like this definition of property. It's by a philosopher. His name was John Locke on the 1700s. And he said this, our lives, our liberties, and our estates. That's our property. Our life, our freedom, and all that we have, that's our property. So God is bestowing to us through this the right to our life, to our freedom, and the right to, uh, uh, to our estates, to our property. Anybody, that sound familiar to anybody? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Anybody sound familiar to anybody? Where do you think they got it? Well, we'll see. All right. So if that's what property is, what is stealing? What then is stealing? The biblical concept of stealing, thou shalt not steal. Literally, it's stealing is taking something that doesn't belong to you without permission. To take something that doesn't belong to you without permission. Whether it's a life, whether it's someone's liberty, or whether it's someone's property, to take any of the above without permission, that's stealing. 
Now, where does, where does this come from? What's the whole basis for it? The whole basis for God bestowing that right is literally the character and nature of God himself. If you remember a few commandments ago in the very beginning, what did God say? You shall have no other gods before me. And if we jump down to verse 5, what does he say? You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God. Anybody remember us going through that one? I, Yahweh, am a jealous God. God is jealous. But now, what's fascinating is the word jealous in Hebrew has two meanings, okay? Um, and and there's, there's two kinds of zealous or jealous. Number one is zeal for somebody's personal property. This is my personal property and having zeal for that. Number two is zeal for somebody else's personal property. Now, which one can you guess is the right one? Yeah, zeal for, uh, we're going to deal with zeal for someone else's property. Actually, we're going to deal with it today. That's stealing. And we're going to deal with it again. That's covetousness. So uh, we're going to get into that. So, that, But there is a right kind of zeal. God has a zeal for what belongs to him. God has a zeal for what belongs to him. So um, the, 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 the Pharisees were trying to trip Jesus up. And... Uh, and when they were trying to trip him up, they said to, they said to Jesus, and, and it was the Pharisees and the Herodians, they all got together. You know, these, these people that didn't get together got together to, to try to trip up Jesus. And they said, hey, listen, um, uh, we have a basic question. Um, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Now, this is a question I wish Jesus had answered a different way. But he says, bring me a coin. And he pops out a coin. He says, uh, whose inscription is on that coin? He says, well, uh, Caesar's inscription. He says, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But give to God what belongs to God. Hmm. Now, if they were actually had integrity in wanting to know the answer, true answer to that question, they would have followed up with a second question. What belongs to God? And Jesus said, that's easy. Whose image is on you? Whose image is on you? So this whole concept of us having a right to property is because we have been created in his image. And therefore, we are to honor one another as God's imagers. And what belongs to that person belongs to that person. What belongs to you is what belongs to you. What belongs to God is what belongs to God, which, by the way, is all of it. And we are to have a zeal not only to protect ours, but to protect others. That's what it means not to steal. All right. As God imagers, God bestows on us the fundamental right for property. He wants us to zealously guard and protect that right for each other. So why? Because stealing, this is a quote uh, from a, a, a commentary called Exodus, stealing threatens the social order and causes pain to others. How many know that? Anybody had something stolen from them? I've had people, you know, where their houses have been uh, 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 horribly rampaged, and they just didn't even want to go back into their house. They were in fear just sleeping in their own house. Undermining the ability to possess with sure access things that are useful and needful. The food thief makes others go hungry. The work animal thief interrupts farming. The kidnapper tears apart a family. The clothing thief makes another suffer from the sun or the cold. This is why, this is why the book of the covenant. This is why the Word of God establishes literally absolute justice in this regard. 
The thief literally is, is to experience what they cause as a result of thieving. Here it is. In Exodus 22, you go back and read Exodus 22. I'm just going to give you kind of a summary from this. This is a, a synopsis. If, so, if you borrow something from someone, if you borrow something, you have been made in trust of what you borrowed. If you lose it, the scripture says you're to restore it. Can I say, Christians, we're not really good at that. Uh, you know why? Oh, I borrowed this from you and I lost it. I'm so sorry. And we expect one another to forgive rather than us to live up to our obligation. The Bible says if you borrow, you are responsible, therefore, to not return is to steal. That's number one. Number two, if you actually steal, if you were to steal an animal, okay, and then, and, uh, uh, and, and, um, and then you repent of it, in repenting of it, you literally need to give back two animals. Not only the animal you stole, you have to give back another one. Why? Because it's, it's that you might experience the loss you caused to someone else. You intended them to have this loss. Now you are going to experience that loss yourself. Number three, if you steal that animal, and by the way, it doesn't just talk about animals. It talks about property in general, but we're using animals here. If you steal an animal and then you take and you eat that animal, the Bible says you have to restore it fourfold. Or fivefold. Why? Because you can't restore what's been stolen. And so you have to make full on behalf of that other person. The Bible has absolute justice over this principle. God takes this seriously. It's why it's one of the things he spoke into existence. All right. Now what's interesting is the Bible does not promote communal society. What? I read the book of Acts. They sold everything they had and they gave it to each other so that they could live together. What do you mean? The Bible does not promote communal society. The Bible promotes a giving society. And there's all the difference in the world between the two. The moment I promote a communal society, I have to take from someone else to give to you. And that is unrighteous and unjust. But in a giving society, we have the free will ability to say, I'm giving because I love you. I care for you. Now, that image is God. Taking doesn't. Giving does. How many remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Anybody remember that story? This is one of the most abrupt stories in the entire New Testament. You know, here they are. People are, are selling everything they have, and they're giving it to the apostles so the apostles can give to the community. And, and uh, Barnabas did this, and several other people follow an example. And it's like, wow, this is in a giving community. They're showing what Jesus looks like in giving. And then, and then Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira says, we want to get, on, get in on the act. We want to look good like everybody else looks good. So they sell their property, and they go, and they say, well, you know what? We want to look good, but not really be good. So we'll kind of keep some of it back and pretend like we gave it all. And do you know what Peter says? It's really fascinating. What Peter says here is extremely indicative of what we're talking about. He says this. He says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Was it not your personal private property? Yes. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? When you sold it, is it still not your personal private property? Yes. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man but to God. In other words, you could have, you could have just said, hey, here's part of it. I'm just giving part of it. And that would have been fine. There is no judgment. It's yours to do with as you wish, to give as God has called you to give, is leading you to give. But by making yourself look good, you're actually stealing God's glory. You're stealing glory for him, and for that, your life is forfeited. And they both died and were buried. You see, 
You cannot give what you do not own. You cannot give what you do not own. Acts 5, verse 4, while it remains, um, no, sorry, uh, Ephesians 4, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that, why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. For us, as believers, as to understand this principle, we are to work with our own hands. We are to be in a society which is just, meaning that when I put my forth my efforts, I know that, that I am being compensated for my efforts. When someone else put forth efforts to me, I am compensating for them for that. We are working with our own hands. We are not stealing. We are not taking. But God doesn't leave it there. Unfortunately, in the church, we stop right there. I'm going to go work and earn. I'm not going to steal. I'm a righteous person. But God says we do it so that we might image him by giving. That you might have something to give. That way we're not robbing God. So to force someone to give what does not belong to them, to force someone to give what does not belong to, to you is to steal from them. Let me say it again. To force someone to give what does not belong to you is to steal. All right, so that's the biblical principle. What does this mean today? How do we apply this in our lives today? All right. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at, at uh, a few things. We're going to start looking society. How is this an issue for us as a society? And then, and then we're going to meddle a little bit. Can we meddle? <laughs> and we're going to look at our own lives and how does this apply as believers in our lives. All right. So first, not stealing is literally the foundation of freedom itself. How many knew that? Not stealing is literally the foundation of freedom. This is from the Cato Institute. Oh, actually, before I want to say that, I'll make this statement. Bestowing the right to property. Listen, this, this right to bestow the right to property was so important uh, that it's literally the foundation on which we are founded as a nation. The, the, the founders understood this. This is by the Cato Institute. It says this. America's founders understood clearly that private property is the foundation not only of prosperity but of freedom. You're, gonna, you're asking me how. We'll see it in a minute. It's no accident that a nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to justice for all protects property rights. Property is the foundation of every right we have, including the right to be free. Now, listen. And this is really important because we hear this all the time about all the evil things that we have done as a nation. And have we done a few evil things? Yes. You can raise your hand if you say we have we've done evil things. But here's the thing. We need to differentiate between the system they put in place for righteous things to happen and unrighteous people living it out. What they put in place, when we live to it, actually brings prosperity. Why? Because it's based on the word of God, as we're seeing. But when unrighteous people do what unrighteous people do, what happens? We steal, we kill, we destroy, etc. It got quiet in here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a statement so easy that even a child can understand this. That's not, actually not my quote. This is a quote from the Cato Institute. All right. So there's two kinds of moral rights. There's two kinds of moral rights. Before you can establish political rights, before you can establish legal rights, you have to understand moral rights. There's no such thing as a right if it isn't established from God, which means it is a moral right. All right. 
So there's two kinds. There's natural rights. In other words, there's rights that we understand as being images of God in this creation. And, and uh, what kind of rights are those? Natural rights are the rights that we have as human beings simply to be free. Free from the interference of others to plan and live our lives as we wish. Provided we respect that right in someone else. We have a natural right to be free. Provided whatever I'm doing to be free isn't stopping someone else from being free. Everybody see that? Everybody understand that? This is freedom. Okay? But we have, we have created rights as well. Now, there's two kinds of created rights. What are the created rights? Number one, we create a right when we enter into a contract with someone else. Now, I've entered into a contract. You have a right to something. I have a right to something. We made a promise. You have a right to something. I have a right to something. We've just created a right through that contract. Everybody, anybody ever been in a contract before? All the time. We're in contracts all the time. Anybody have electricity in your house? That's a contract. Anybody have the Internet? That's a contract. Anybody have water? That's a contract. Anybody live in a house? That's a contract. We do these all the time. I will give you something. You will give something to me. We both have a right to something. All right. The third kind of right is a right violation. A right violation. I have a right when you violate my right to be compensated for it. I have a right when you violate my right to be compensated for it. Now, what did we just read out of the Torah? You steal an animal? You owe two. You eat it? You owe four. You were entrusted with it? You still got to pay it back. If you violate my right, you have to be, you have to compensate for it. We have a right. And so all these things that are the basis of rights in our country come directly from the scriptures. Hmm. All right. So this theory of rights implicit in the Declaration can be reduced to three simple rules. These are so simple that even a child on a playground can understand them. These are three simple rules that we can understand that even if you're on a playground, you can understand. Here's rule number one. Don't take what belongs to someone else. Somebody say amen to that? You don't think so? Go out on a playground and watch one kid take something that belongs to someone else. What's going to happen? Five-year-olds get this. In fact, five-year-olds will think everything belongs to them, right? Mine! (laughs) Which is why we have to teach these things and not assume these things. So rule number one, don't take what belongs to someone else. That's the world of property. That's what property rights are based on. Number two, keep your promises. Keep your promises. That's what contracts are all about. When you promise something to someone and you don't live up to it, you've just stolen from them. When you give your word to someone and you don't live up to it, you've just stolen from them. Rule number three, if you fail in rule number one or rule number two, you have to give back what you took in rule number one and you're on number two. That's rule number three. If you take something from someone that doesn't belong to them, if you don't keep a promise that you owe someone something and you don't keep it, then you have to give back to them. That's rule number three. How hard is that to understand? And that is literally what are the, the foundation of the system in which uh, the system which we were founded on. I'm going to say what we live under, what we were founded on. So, very simple. If I want to steal freedom, if I want to take your freedom, all I have to do is take away your right to property. All I have to do is tell people they don't have to keep their promises. All I have to do is not make people accountable for stealing from you. 
And what are we doing in our society today? Many of us thought of that as a complete violation of the commandments of God. We want to take from one person to give to somebody else. That's stealing. That's not right. We want to tell people, oh, you had, you know, you don't have to pay your school loans back. You made a promise. Why do you got to keep it? You don't have to keep that promise. You don't have to pay your rent. You don't have to pay your mortgage. Do you think that God's going to bless a country that does that? Do you think supporting that is supporting righteousness? It's not a political statement. It's a moral statement. We don't make people restore what they steal. There are literally people going into places stealing left and right, and we've got prosecutors literally refusing to prosecute. Absolute unrighteousness. Absolute unrighteousness. Guys, we need to be praying for our nation. We need to be on our faces repenting on behalf of our nation. One of the things we talked about last week, uh, two weeks ago in our Daniel study. By the way, this week in Daniel, we'll be studying the 70 weeks, the 70 weeks in the second half of Daniel 9. So I invite you out on Wednesday night to hear about it. But guys, this stuff is serious. This isn't just about you not taking a, you know, a pencil from work. This is stuff that destroys nations. Anybody ever heard of a word? I, I'm, uh, uh. I'm about to really meddle. And so what do you think you've been doing? No, this is. Who's heard of a word called equity? Big word in the, in the world right now. Equity. Sounds good. After all, who doesn't want to be fair? We all want to be fair. Can I tell you what Satan does? What he does is he takes something that emotionally feels good and lays it on top of a lie. Look, are there, are there inequalities in the world that we are called to be the first ones in line to work on and fix? Absolutely. We are called to destroy the works of the devil. We are called to be in the world actually making a difference. But we are not called to be buying into what the world says that disagrees with the word of God. Let me tell you what equity is. Equity is this theory that everybody should have equal outcome. It should be equal outcome for everybody. The only problem with that is the only way you get equal outcome is you have to take from one person to give to another. What we need is to have a place where everyone is treated equally as an imager of God, as a dignity of one created, as a human being in God's image, where we lift one another up and say, here's your opportunity. Do with as God would lead you. What we need is to learn how to be a giving people, not a taking people. God's principle is to be givers, not takers. When we lay our lives down for one another and demonstrate what giving is, then we will destroy these lies of the enemy. But don't buy into them. 
Don't buy into them. You see, with ownership comes responsibility. Now we're going to get into this personally. With ownership comes, with, well, let me say this first. If any person, institution, government, organization says you will no longer have a right to property, they are literally violating the word of God. Um, I, I, you can look, look at this right now. There are, there are literally organizations in the world who have stated purpose to remove private property. It is their stated purpose in the world right now. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us at all. Why? Because we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. And what do spiritual forces and wickedness of high places do? Distort the word of God. Distort the word of God. So what are we to do? Live the word of God. Love the word of God. And part of that means taking responsibility. With ownership comes responsibility. With ownership comes responsibility. Respect for ownership is a responsibility itself. Romans two twenty one. Then you who teach others, do you teach? No, then you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Um, I remember driving down the road. Um, with an electrician we're we're headed to a job site and this electrician was a third person in the car and these two people just began to have a conversation and the the electrician who owned the business he said this these these were his words i will never work for another church i will never work for another church Uh, another person was oh why, why not oh my goodness because all they want is for you to give 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 to them and they're not willing to pay you for what you do I've hired people to work for me. Um, I've I've been in various businesses in different times and years ago in other places. I've hired people to work for me. And literally, because I'm a believer, my job's the last job they're going to come to. They're going to be incomplete in getting work done. Uh, If they didn't do work right, they expect me to accept it. They want to steal from me because I'm a believer. Do you who say do not steal, do you do the same thing to others? Because what you're doing when you do that is stealing God's glory. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Psychology Today has a study uh, that they did. Um, the, the, the researcher's name is Ariella, or, uh, Ariellis. And what, what this researcher did is it gave us a whole set of math problems. Okay? And it says, now right away half of you are going, I don't want anything to do with that study. Right? Math problems. Gives a whole set of math problems. Says, all right, I want you to work out the problems. So you work out the problems. All right, now take your score as to what you got right and what you got wrong and write it over here. All right, now hand in all of your answers and all your work. Okay, now we're going to shred it. And they pretend to put it in a shredder. And so everybody thought they shredded it. They said, okay, what was your score? What did you get? What did you get? What did you get? What did you get? You know, most, almost, uh, uh, the majority of people cheated. Well, the answers were shredded. How are they going to know? A few, most of them cheated just a little bit. A few cheated a lot. There were only a very few who were actually honest. Now, it's fascinating. 
this, this really, really fascinated me because he came up with some answers, right? Lady came up with some answers. How do we deal with this? How do we teach people that it's wrong to steal? Listen to this. First, priming people for honesty seems to help. For example, participants who were reminded of an honor code or who reviewed the Ten Commandments cheated or stole less. Why did God put this as the very first thing? Because when we listen to it, we're just better people. We're just better. Which is why Deuteronomy says, not only listen to it, study it. Not only study it, tell your children. Not only tell your children, tell them when you sit down, when you rise up, when you're at home, when you're not at home. Put it on your doors. Put it on your gates. Everywhere. Why? So we can represent his glory. Don't you love it reading psychology today and it's just quoting right from the scriptures? <laughs> I was, somebody actually asked me, why were you reading psychology today? They got a lot of great examples in there. You know why? And I, this was the answer I gave him. I said, because when I'm searching out the word of God, I want to know what's going on in our society. I want to know, I want to know how, how we as a culture are dealing with things, how we are struggling. What are the real issues? Because God, the word of God applies to all of it. All right, so what we're going to do for the next few minutes, I'm going to turn over to something called the Westminster Confession. For those who never heard of it, this was an assembly of believers back uh, during the time of the Reformation, right after, actually later then, um, that were in, in Westminster, Scotland. And they got together, and they answered a whole series of questions. And they were asking these questions. So what does the Bible have? This is, I'm simplifying here, but what does the Bible have to say about these questions? And they got a whole series so that we can have a good teaching to be able to pass on so that we know how to live life in this world based on what the teachings of the Bible are. And so one of those questions was, what are the sins forbidden by the Eighth Commandment? This is question number 142. So for those that are keeping score, uh, what are the sins um, uh, that are forbidden by the Eighth Commandment. Now, this, a lot of these are going to come up in language. It's like, well, okay, that's old language. Um, but I'm just going to take, we're going we're to go through them. There's like 20 or, 20 or so, and we won't hit all of them. I'll just hit a few of them. And what I want to do, because we're getting ready for communion. How many know that communion is about to happen? How many know as part of communion, you have to prepare your heart? So as we're listening to these things, these are a means of grace. I want you to allow the grace of God to come into your life in this moment. I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you as you're listening to these things and say, is this something God wants in, that, I, that is in my life that I need to give to the grace of God? Is this something I need to get out of my life because I don't want to blaspheme the name of God? I want to live in a way that's in accordance with him. Is this something that I need to confess? Is this something I need to restore to someone else because I've taken it from them? Let the grace of God move in you because we're about to come up, up here and celebrate that grace that enables us to do this right now. So let this be a time of preparing your heart as we're going into this. Amen? All right, so this is what it says. It says, The sins forbidden in the Eighth Commandment, besides the neglect of duties required, are theft, robbery, and man-stealing. So, you know, theft. Theft is when you steal something and you're sneaking it. Have we ever stole something? Sneaking. Robbery is when we did it with violence. We're using violence to steal it. You know, just outright... And man-stealing is, is, is uh, uh, kidnapping. And received anything that, or, or, and received anything that is stolen. Ever received something that is stolen? 
Listen to what the psalmist says about that. If you see a thief, if you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. Let me translate that for you. If you know somebody's stealing something and you don't report it, you don't take care of it, you are literally pleased with the theft. That's what it's saying. If you see stealing going on and you don't intervene, you're pleased with it. And, it's, and, what, and it goes on. It says, it's the same thing as if you just kept company with adulterers. How many of us watch thieving going on and are okay with it? Fraudulent dealing, false weights and measures. You ever deal with somebody fraudulently? You ever represent yourself in a way that wasn't true to get a job? To get hired? You ever put something on a piece of paper that wasn't, that was fudged? After all, we all like chocolate, right? You ever use false weights and measures? Tell somebody you're going to give them this and then try to find a way to give them a little less? You ever get a bid from somebody for something and you know they missed something? And you went, ha, I'm going to get something for free. Steal from them to enrich you. So that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warmed you. Removing landmarks. Injustice and unfaithfulness in contracts between man and man. Removing landmarks, literally, uh, they used to put up um, uh, stone fences between properties. And these were like generational property lines between properties. Okay? Well, that wouldn't really apply to us so much, right? Well, you ever like have to replace your fence and get the fence guy to cheat it a little bit on your neighbor's property? Well, we're not sure where it is anyway. Injustice and unfaithfulness in contracts. Psalm 37 says this, The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. Ever borrow and not given back? Or in matters of trust. Ever been entrusted with something? Fell through and didn't restore? One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. You know, as I was going through this myself, it's a hard list to go through, isn't it? I was so thankful for God's grace. See, this isn't about condemning. This is about cleansing about cleaning out the house of God. It's about coming to him and letting him take this from us. It's about learning how to be good, representing him. Amen? Oppression, extortion, usury, bribery, vexatious lawsuits. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather just suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves are wrong and defraud your own brothers. Engrossing commodities to enhance a price. Don't you love old language? Engrossing commodities. I've never done that. Well, what's it mean? 
People curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Engrossing, in other words, hoarding. You ever hoard in order to make a better profit? Look, this is not talking. Oh, we can keep going. Unlawful callings. What is an unlawful calling? And the example would be Darius the blacksmith in, in, the, in, in the book of Acts, who's literally making gods to the god Diana. Do you take jobs that are unrighteous? Do you do things for money, for gain, that are unrighteous? That's an, you're stealing when you do that. I'll just read through the rest of these and ask a few more questions. Are all other, uh, um, are, and all other unjust or sinful ways of taking or withholding from our neighbor what belongs to him or of riching ourselves? Covetousness, in, inordinate prizing and affecting worldly goods. In other words, desiring other things. We're going to touch on those in, in a few weeks. Distrustful and distracting cares and studies in getting, keeping, and using them. In other words, letting the cares of this world rob your brain of the glory of God. Envying at the prosperity of others. Idleness. Prodigality. Wasteful gaming. In other words, wasting and not putting the effort in you know you could. Defrauding others of due use and comfort of the estate that God has given them. So here's a few more. We'll finish up with these questions. And then I have a quote for you. Have you ever found something that was lost and not tried to find the owner of it? Well, how would you feel if you lost something valuable and no one sought to find you? What about stealing from large organizations? I mean, after all, they're a big corporation. Who's going to miss it? What about stealing from someone because they have a lot more? I mean, look, they have. They're not going to miss anything. But cheating on your taxes. That's why I started with Jesus and the, <laughs> the coin. Now, I know no one's done this. Unlawful or illegal downloading. How about this one? Tithes and offerings. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but but you say, How are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Job put it this way stealing is stealing from God. Stealing is stealing from God. Why? It's very simple. He said this. He said, I didn't have anything when I came into this world. When I leave this world, I'm going to take anything with me. All I'm going to, all I will have is the integrity of my soul before God. That's it. I didn't have anything when I came into this world. I'm not going to have anything when I take out. So any stealing is stealing from God. There's two antidotes. Antidote one is stewardship. Recognize that everything we have comes from God to begin with. Everything someone else has came from God. So when you're taking from somewhere else, you're taking from God. When you're not stewarding what you have, you're taking from God. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Number two, I have a quote that I'm closing with. 
I'll say closing a few times. It's really, you know how, um, you know, when a preacher says in conclusion, do you know what that means? 30 more minutes. Now, I am, I'm closing with this quote. It's a, a rather lengthy quote, but this is a quote I want us to take into prayer. See, um, this is from an article called Desiring God. It's an amazing article on this whole subject of stealing and really looking at it from a biblical perspective. And uh, so I'm telling you where I got it because I'm not going to steal it. But um, uh, Rick, Warren, Rick Warren used to say, he says, the first time, he says, you can take anything I have, I don't care. Just the first time you quote me, say Rick Warren said. The second time you quote me, say any, somebody said. The third time you can say, you know, I've always said. Our problem is a love problem. Our problem is a love problem. Desiring God. Just take this. Meditate on this as we close out. What is the fruit that the knowledge of God is supposed to produce? Love. Shoplifting is a love affair problem. All of God's commandments, including you shall not steal, are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. To steal is to hate. To loot is to loathe. Because love doesn't loot. Love is patient. It doesn't pilfer. Love is kind. It doesn't harm to get. Love does not envy. It enjoys the protection of the neighbor's goods. Love does not boast. It doesn't take pride in possession. Love is not arrogant. It does not think it deserves what belongs to others. Do you catch those last couple? Love is to actually protect someone else's stuff. Entitlement is to not love. If we feel entitled, we're not loving. Love is the end of looting. Love does not steal from its neighbors. So Christian love is the fulfillment of the eighth commandment. You shall not steal means you shall imitate God. God is generous. God is hardworking. God is love. It is Satan that is the first thief who attempted to steal God's throne. The serpent became the ruler of this world by stealing God's people, bringing them into the kingdom of darkness. So let the thief no longer steal. Let the plagiarist no longer plagiarize. Let the pirate no longer pirate. Let the illegal downloader no longer longer download illegally. Let the adulterer no longer steal the spouse of another. Let the porn addict not enjoy the body they have been labor, that they did not labor in love in marriage. Work hard, love all, trust entirely, obey wholeheartedly, reflect purely, though dimly, the generous God you revere. Owe no one anything except to love for each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Amen. Father, we bless you as we come into this time of communion. May we commune with you. Father, all of us, all of us have lived a life in rebellion to you. Father, that's not news to you. That's why you sent Jesus. That's why you have poured your grace out. Father, pour your grace out in this place this morning. Let us turn our hearts to you to give back to you these things and in your place receive your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother, so much for that. We're going to enter into a time of communion. Before we get started, I just wanted you to consider just a couple of things. When I was young, I didn't understand the, the, the gravity of what's happening at communion. I was just excited to drink a little bit of juice and get, get one of those little wafers. I used to think, that, uh, you know, I wonder how bad it would be if I just got, grabbed one of those bags of wafers and just had it for, you know, instead of popcorn. I, I didn't understand what was happening. 
at communion. I just want to just touch on that for just a second. We get, we are, this is not just a ritualistic, empty practice that we do. We are remembering something very, very important, but in a, a very unique and special way that God has commanded us to. We are remembering what it took for us to be right standing before God. What it took for our sin to be cleansed, for us to not only be forgiven, but have a restored relationship with God as a result of what Christ has done on the cross. And so as we enter into this time, my encouragement is to do exactly what Pastor Mark had encouraged on us earlier on in his message, that we evaluate the condition of our hearts, that we don't take of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. It's not just about coming up here in an unjust manner and taking it in an unjust way. That's not really what I'm talking about. What's beautiful about the taking of the Lord's Supper is that it is a moment for self-evaluation. It is a moment to analyze. It is a moment to evaluate this love relationship that we claim. God, is there anything in my life that separates me from you? And listen, if, you are, if God has revealed that to you and you say, you know what, not today. I, I need this. I want this. I want to live this way. I want to continue on this path. Listen, if that's you, stay in your seat for your sake. Because what we're going to be doing up here, what you would be doing up here is eating and drinking Judgment unto yourself. These aren't my words. God is calling on us to evaluate ourselves. But if you say, Lord, I know this has been separating me from you, and I don't want this to be a part of my life anymore. I want you today and forever. I know I am incapable of laying this down, but what I can do is surrender myself over to you. Let the power of your spirit, the fruit of Your spirit dwelling within me, love, joy, peace, goodness, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control be magnified in my life because I surrender to you. Lord, let that be a reality for me. Doing that is taking of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. I'm going to read to you the passage that we are to consider as we're going through this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. For I have received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the day that he was betrayed, took bread. This is a symbol of, God's, of, the, of Christ's body. And he took the bread. When he had given thanks, he had broken it. And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we take of the Lord's Supper and we take of the bread, we are remembering that his body was broken on your behalf. The cost that it took for us to be right standing before the Father. In the same way, after supper... He took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant. In my blood, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
So we take the bread and we drink of the cup. Doing this remembrance of what it took for us to not only be forgiven, but have a restored love relationship with our Creator. He said, for whenever you eat of this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So then whenever, but whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. What that means is that we are not considering the cost. We are not considering the gravity and we're doing something that's ritualistically empty. And that's not what this is for. It is a beautiful, self-aligning moment that we have with the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves, verse 28 says, before they eat of the bread, before they drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment unto themselves. My encouragement is for just to take a moment. Would you bow your heads for just a moment and say, Lord, forget it. Father, I want to cry out to you, the cry of David, search my heart, O Lord, O Lord, determine, show, reveal to me if there be any wickedness within me. I do not want to walk on a path apart from you. Lord, if I've been on this alternate path for so long, I pray, God, that I would understand the full depth of your grace and mercy extend to me in this moment. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you, Lord, that my soul be right standing before you. And as I take this blood and I take this cup and take this bread, the Lord, I would do this in remembrance of your body and your blood shed for me. Father, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to come before you, taking of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. Praise you so much for your grace that you tell us in Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation. There is no condemning for those who are in Christ. Praise the Lord so much for that reality that we can walk in in confidence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here, and the pastors will be to your left and to your right. I'll take a moment, spend some time with the Lord, and then as you are ready, you can come get in line, and we'll take care of you guys that can be served at the Lord's Supper. Yes, sir. Thank you. Take a moment with the Lord.
worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one that could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Only there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes and wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and leave me in the love to those around me. Jesus, the name above every other name.
praise you and pray that you're that we recognize that your name is indeed our foundation it is the firm foundation that we can stand on because we belong to you lord all things will work out for our good we love you father we praise you we thank you in jesus name if you all would just focus your attention to the screen for real uh, for just a brief moment we have a a video for you a uh a video and encouragement to participate with something. Just have a seat for just one second. We'll dismiss right after this. Hello, Calvary. I'm Robin Watts. This is my wife, Sheila. We'd like to talk to you this morning about what we think is one of the most important ministries at a church, and that's the ministry of greeting. Whenever somebody steps into a church, whether it's a longtime member or a first-time visitor, they want to feel like they are welcomed, they want to know that they are seen, and that someone cares about them. If you would like to be part of the greater team, let us know. We would love to have you serve with us. When the Lord brings someone into this place, a lot of times, whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, a decision is made within the first 10 minutes of their walking into this building. And usually that decision is made by whether or not someone makes them feel welcomed. All are welcome. All are welcome in the house of God. And so I would encourage you to be a part of a team that would be that friendly face that says, hello, welcome to Calvary. I'm so glad that you're here. If you're interested in doing that, we're gonna, I would encourage you to Either email Miss Sheila or you can see her out in the lobby after service. Please go have some pancakes before you leave. Love y'all. Adios.